Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Horus Heretics. I'm Neil. I'm William. And we are back. <laughs> back from the dead. Back from the outcast I'm dead right. by Graeme McNeil. The, co- the content sphere has been one podcast later for <laughs> several weeks now. And everyone has felt worse for it. <laughs> um, so we are back after I think it was a full month of uh, p- putting up old episodes as filler um <laughs> that's what we've been doing uh will you've had we, we've had quite a few changes of of setting for each of us but will yours is better so why don't you lead us off with your current situation okay i'm currently um sitting in the kitchen of a flat in venice where i'm staying for two months and apparently uh, the building i'm in is apparently f- built in the 15th century Venice. I mean, I'm sure it's it's a well-known city, so I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go into all the details of it. <laughs> but but uh, well, tell us about the roads there. <laughs> well, that's the funny. It's funny you should mention that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Venice is really cool, but the, I mean, for the purpose of this podcast, as I said to you before, Neil, Venice is you know it, it's a it's a beautiful uh, city full of elaborate you know old churches and buildings and it's amazing stuff and it's you know it's like something out of your imagination built in the water and just all that and it's exactly the kind of place that a space marine um you know expeditionary fleet would descend on and completely obliterate within about 30 (laughs) minutes Yes, would reduce the rubble in seconds the history of this story place (laughs) like all the all the many sort of minarets and connecting bridges of the civilizations that we've seen destroyed in the series so far it's kind of it, it has that sort of vibe about it oh the the grand canal would be running thick with body parts and and, <laughs> and xenos body mulch <laughs> no like some sort of weapon would just have like evaporated all the water <laughs> yes yes true very true um yeah so that's the i mean that's a great situation to be uh, recording from that that would sounds absolutely gorgeous mine has been a little bit sort of more traumatic and less fun is that um me and my partner were looking to buy a place and we had it we had practically signed the the deal and then that fell through and then i had to find like short-term living accommodation uh at a friend's place which was less than ideal i'm now in uh, a flat which is great i'm really happy in Wolfhamstow in london um but over the past few days it has been the the biggest pain in the balls getting uh, the internet set up so i'm uh talking with will uh, tethering my computer to my phone which is never a good way of doing this kind of thing so if there is any uh, audio issues or anything that's on my end and is my fault if there are sort of general audio problems, uh, hopefully you'll bear with us because uh, we'll get to the bottom of them. We'll just work them out. But at the minute, not too much we can do. But as as we get settled, uh, we'll be able to do more with that. So uh, sorry about that. But we, I think we were just, is it fair to say, Will, that we were just really keen to get back to podcasting because it's really good fun. Yeah, I, I'm keen and I'm also excited because of what you just said, um, which means I think for the first time in the history of this podcast, I've probably got better internet than you at the moment, which means, you know, <laughs> I'll be, I'll have to remind myself to belittle your 
atrocious ping times and <laughs> going through the, at some point oh, later God, on. A ping of over a hundred. God, what a what an <laughs> idiot. We'll be playing fighting games with that. Anyway, anyway. We will be talking about The Outcast Dead by Graham McNeil, which is um really weird book uh it seems to be completely set on earth and is dealing solely with the world of humans and stuff uh we haven't seen well we've seen sort of scattered space marines and primarchs but they seem to be uh taking a back seat so all of that i would say would lead me to think anyway that this book at least has the uh, potential to be a really good uh, book for us because we seem to be gravitating away from the grand spectacle the grand battle um, with exceptions but I feel that that's a sort of fair description of our past reading history. Can I just say before we get into the what's in this book that this it's got an absolutely fantastic cover um, that like usually the covers of these books are sort of sweeping battle scenes and things like heaps of space marines piling over each other and um, into some epic battle and, and this one's just like I don't even know what's going on on it I don't even know at this stage exactly what ca- what character it is depicting but it's this like weedy little sort of dead looking guy um, well not looking totally dead I just mean like his skin is like you know looks like he's sort of dead and uh, very emaciated and he's kind of cowering in the presence of three big like sort of hulking cyberpunk gang member dudes um, who have like uh, you know one of them's wearing sort of green shades with like um, purple you know shoulder shoulder pads and a helmet and stuff like this it's just it's it's, it's intriguing mm-hmm. um, and uh, however when we, when we begin this book this is one of the most like we often <laughs> god it's so funny to look at right we often have a bit of fun with like the quotes and shit at the start of books, right? But if I just tell you before you get into chapter one, what you have in this book, right? Okay, never mind the dramatic persona because that's always there. But you have three made-up quotes to begin with, right? <laughs> then you have a transcript of a conversation. Then you have what you think is the prologue, which is a few pages in italics. Then you have the actual prologue. Yep. And then you've got chapter one. (laughs) And yeah, true. And chapter one is called Dreams of the Red Chamber, which is a good name. But yeah, I I was kind of just going like, what am I I reading here? Like, where should I be starting reading? But um, I think uh, we should probably give like a quick overview of that transcript of that pre-prologue and then the prologue just to give some setting and then we'll dive into the actual book yeah uh the transcript i really liked as a sort of storytelling technique it was a conversation seemingly between an investigator and an astropath um the investigator is called belen tortega and the astropath is kai zulin and it's a uh, Kaizulian has obviously been working uh, on one of the Thirteenth Legion, the Ultramarine, the Ultramarine ships, and something terrible has happened that has left Kai a fairly broken astropath. And Tortega is asking him questions and is representing 
the great house of Castana. And uh, he seems to be there on uh, the say-so of the principal person of that house called uh, Verdicinia. Verdicinia. Um, and it's in a short space of time, it really like gives a great sort of uh, illustration of uh, that the astropaths are clearly a sort of um, aristocratic type of organization in that great families are striving against each other uh, for prestige and gain that prestige through work with the different legions. And um, uh, Belant Ortega is sent to see if Kaizulin can be retrieved because he's clearly a, a valuable resource for House Castana. And if he can be retrieved, what, what can be done with him? Um, and he sends a missive back to Verdicinia uh, to say, I think we can save him. Uh, we need to send him back to uh, the city of Sight, which is the, where uh, the city on the, the part of the Emperor's Palace on Earth that trains uh, astropaths for use in the military and uh, to be fixed up back then. Is that fair? Is that an overview? Have I missed anything out there? No, I think that, that um, it covers it. And that, that is all stuff we will get back to um, as we go through the, the, the main part of the, the book that we've read so far. But um, the sort of the, 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 the bit before the prologue that follows that um, is also followed by a few sections of chapters. But I still don't know what this is about and how it connects to the rest of the book. Um, yeah, but basically, not mentioned again in the bit that we've read. Oh, it is. It is mentioned, but um, or oh, wait a minute. No, it is like there's there's bits with all these characters with Japanese names, basically. Yeah. Um, but and there's a couple more like, as I say, like just a few paragraphs within a few chapters where those characters are are um, discussed again, or at least I think it's the, it's the same sort of general storyline as that, but. We don't know how it connects really yet. So I'm wondering if we should just leave that to the next episode to get into yeah, that. Yeah, we, that makes sense. Well, we maybe know what's going on with that. Right, so um, so into the prologue and then the book <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of reading before getting to this prologue. Know, like minute 12, into the prologue. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, well, basically, like, once we get into the story, we've got two narratives that are um at the moment they're they're pretty separate but um we can kind of see how they're connected so we've got kaizu lane uh, who neil's talked about there um and then what's her name roxanne 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 yeah. yeah so we've got um he is yeah like he's gone through some traumatic experience on um a spaceship and um, that isn't immediately clear what exactly it was but you know you have an inkling it might be something to do with warp demons. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, then there's... So, so he's being, as, as that um, bit at the start sort of sets up for, he's been brought back to the, um, the astro-telepathica base on Earth. And was it called the Whispering Tower? Or, no. Yeah, the Whispering Tower is the... The sort of uh, building inside the city of Sight, which is just a part of the Imperial Palace. 
Yeah, and um, and uh, so that's kind of one storyline. Um, he's sort of he's he's a, like an experienced astropath, but he has to be sort of he's he has to be kind of start at the bottom again because he's kind of he's been completely um, like like sort of broken on some level by this experience, and he 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 kind of doesn't really want to come back. But they say they're going to stick him in the Silent Mountain if he doesn't. Um, Basically, don't they say that's the only other place he could sort of go would be the Silent Mountain? Uh, that, that, that's where telepaths are sent to die, basically. Yeah, so he's kind of like, but they, like, yeah, they see that there's, they think they could still get some use out of him, essentially. Um, so they take him back and sort of start trying to rehabilitate him into working as an astropath. So that's kind of one story, which we'll go more into in a bit. And then we've got Roxanne, who is. Um, living in the petitioner's city is that what it's called um yeah yeah um which is like essentially at the gates of the the imperial palace which as we've heard from previous books is the entire um mountain range of the himalayas um, <laughs> yeah but, um and uh this i i thought this really gave like for the first time, uh, an impression of the Imperial Palace that I was interested in reading, because it had like, it it li- literally calls everything the cities. Like they're they're all cities within this big city. The Petitioner City is like built from uh, scavenged material uh, from Mechanicum builds and stuff like that, and is basically a, a from the sound of things just a favela or some kind of shanty. Um, Whereas the city of sight is, uh, you don't really get the impression of like how far away, but you, you kind of get the impression that it could be like a budding. Uh, but they're so different that, you know, they're, the twin will not meet. And like one is like high technological and um, full of, you know, the astropaths and the magicians and stuff there. Whereas the petitioner city we'll talk about as we go through but it's just basically a city of death basically going on uh, all the time it was a a kind of uh, believable picture of a massive like a mega city almost from judge dread is what i really got from it yeah um it, it i thought it was i would like to know more about that no this this is really um really cool uh yeah, I totally agree. Like the sense of, of place, and like both in the petitioner's city and in in the city of sight, and you see, as you say, and and the so the whisper, the whispering towers, that was called. That's like within the city of sight. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, but the, that whole thing, like there is a real that tower in itself. You know, in the course of this first half of the story that we've read, that has cool different like bits within it that like. Um, now that I'm talking about it, it sort of reminds me, sort of makes me think of like Harry Potter and Hogwarts. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Just all these different sort of like sectors, um, like uh, with different sort of disciplines of the the telepaths in there and stuff. Um, and then yeah, the the the, um, the petitioner city just like has this is is really sort of atmospherically depicted this sort of kind of rundown. Um, place that's just built up over time and, and and you know it's got this real um there's a lot of good descriptive stuff in this book that has really like the sort of the quality of like 
um, you know, like descriptions of like chroniclers in the Middle Ages of like, you know, what happened when the Black Death arrived or stuff like that, you know, and everyone's mm-hmm. like self flagellating and, and, you know, there's great passions or, um, yeah. you know, or like, um, or, or uh, illustrations of um, crusades when um, people who really were not helping the crusade sort of clogged the whole thing up and just went along with, you know, the grand idea that God is on their side and that they will uh, just walk right into Jerusalem and, um, you know, win it for Christianity. And then real life sinks in and they find nothing but like deprivation and horror and death. Um, and that's what sort of arrived at the at the feet of these petitioners, basically. Yeah. And there's a, a really strange scene um, that... A character, Paladus, who we'll describe a little bit more, he um, uh, and his followers are stoking this um, incinerator, which is basically just run, it's burning the bodies of all the people that just sort of pile up overnight. Yeah. All the petitioners who die just get thrown into this incinerator. And we don't know what the incinerator's for, if it's powering. Uh, any kind of temple or anything or is it just a way to get rid of all the dead bodies that pile up it's really strange and like the the ashes are falling down on people um it's it's really bleak yeah. <laughs> it's do, really horrible do you know what like slightly strangely that gave me vibes of when i was reading that just brought to mind alien 3 right and like um the setting for that nothing to do with the alien but like you know the the like prison planet sort of thing yeah and like um and there's a sort of religious aspect to that as well which i guess there is here and um, yeah yeah brought that to mind for some reason just the imagery of that particular scene where the bodies were getting um put into yeah it. and i think like the, there is a sort of similar a similarity there in that if you're in the petitioner city you're stuck there basically um although like it's it's not cut and dried you could theoretically get there but there was description of petitioners coming from all over the world to get to the city and then so many of them just being absolutely aghast at the the monumental architecture that their senses can't take it and they just sort of stumble around the petitioner's city and then are preyed upon by the gangs that rove the streets there that was another really awesome description of just like um, all of these uh, people getting to the city and then not quite knowing what to do and then all these gangs came in and just started exploiting them and staking out their own territories and stuff and I was like this is the most believable sense of like uh, of people building their own societies within these uh outlines set for them by the emperor people like carving their own niches yeah um it was really fascinating yeah there's, there's a lot of bits of this book where it's like graham mcneil has like really let himself just go wild with his imagination and and and, and, and painting this uh, setting and it, it really works very well a lot of the time um uh, so yeah we've got um our sort of protagonist in this setting is Roxanne, um, who it pretty quickly becomes clear is that she is linked to Kai Zulane, um, but that doesn't 
really come into the story uh, in this first half so far, but I think it, it, it refers to her being on the same ship that he was on in the Argo. Um, She's sort of, it's, it's made clear that she um, is one of the... Uh, one of the scions of a great house in the navigator families so she is the uh, the per- she would be the person on the ship who directs the ship through the warp and makes sure they get there safely and kaizulian is the telepath so the person who sends and receives um telepathic messages um and receives orders and that kind of thing and they have somehow both survived the destruction the horrible destruction of the ship by uh, horrible warp monsters Uh, we don't know how yet but they are both dealing with sort of damaged minds and uh, an inability to cope yeah and and, um, it says that she like she's from one of these um, sort of noble families that, that make up the the navigators who are like and that's another bit that's described really interestingly like they, they live in great luxury and and that but they are like shunned by the rest of the world basically and um, because they're mm-hmm. feared for their ability oh yeah and they have i always forget they literally have a third eye um <laughs> which, which yeah which she um keeps hidden with a kind of bandage or hood or something um on her head at the moment because she is kind of hanging around um, this temple, as it's referred to, um, with a guy called Paladus, who, um, I mean, he's, like, it's not actually a temple. It's not religious at this point, but... Yeah. But the... um, What actually is it meant to be? It's just, like, some sort of, like, community organisation for the petitioners to... Yeah, it, it sounds like... Um, and the the lack of uh, clarity in the explanation, I think, really helps it here. I, it sounds like just something that Paladis maybe set up to help one or two people. And other people saw that and just a small community just accum- aggregated around him. Um, he's not a religious man. In fact, he uh, there is somebody who he finds handing out uh, Lictitio... Uh, materials and he thinks it's bollocks and he gives out to him and he says the emperor most certainly does not protect and Paladis has created this sort of weird uh, philosophy around death um, he used to be a, a stonemason and uh, in the middle of this temple that they call it the temple of death um, there is this sculpture that he and his master were working on, but they never finished the face and head. So it's this like uh, classically heroic sculpture, but with no facial features and stuff on it. And uh, he uh, protects people. He sends Roxanne to go and get medicine that will help uh, some young children. Um, she does that, but in the, in doing so, she murders or she slaughters some uh, of Babu Dakal's uh, gang members with her magic navigator abilities. Um, and when she gets back, uh, he sort of 
gives a little bit of an explanation about his theories about death. It's just that death is all around them. You need to show respect to death in all its forms in order to uh, avoid it for an extra day. But death is everywhere. And uh, yeah, so his whole philosophy revolves around knowing death being aware of it and just trying to avoid it at all costs. Um, and he's the one who's stoking these incinerators with uh, the dead bodies of the petitioners to, and then is involved uh, later in a few more scraps. And you can see how just death is all around him. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you mentioned the gangs. So there's a horde of gangs that go about in this city of petitioners who are basically just, you know, once the city had built up, they realised there was an opportunity to, um, you know, run their criminal gangs and make money or whatever and, and, and you know, have power here. And they sort of, so this is like the the, the, the meanest gang leader. It's his gang that um, some of them attack um, Roxanne and she kind of melts them with... Uh, <laughs> With with you know her magic powers that that, that she has, which uh, that's not like a usual thing for navigators to have, is it? Is that, that's like a go- I I I don't know. Um, to be honest, yeah. uh, I was just going with it because I was so enjoying the book at this point. I was just like, okay, she can she can sort of crunch people up with her mind powers. That's fine. Yeah. So she comes back and like um, she's like uh, you know didn't really so tells Paladis about it and like you know didn't really have much choice and then. And he's like, well, you know, that's that's not great, but you know, I'll I'll, I'll defend you and stuff and stick with you, and and then the um, the uh, the the sort of lieutenant of the gang leader um, shows up with some uh, like goons um, to the to the temple, and uh, basically he, <laughs> Paladis does does protect his you know sort of flock here if you like but I mean like or he doesn't no actually he doesn't but someone does someone makes them all blow up but not before <laughs> um, not, not before like um, the this guy representing the gang has like shot this man and I think poor old Esteban. Esteban Esteban was like it says he was literally destroyed or something and he just gets he gets fired across the room and his remains splatter all over this like half-finished statue with no face um, and it's like described that the gore's hanging all over that and then similar stuff to what Roxanne did to the gang members earlier kind of um, some sort of force starts like killing the gang members apart from the leader he kind of gets away although he does get like debilitated in the moment but he gets away and um, as I say, I don't think he's the gang leader, but he's like the leader of the, the sort of enforcer of the gang, and he yeah. he gets away. Um, but the rest of them get killed by this force, and people think it's Paladis who's done this, um, and it's kind of startling. But he he also thinks that it must be Roxanne, and then both of them say, "No, not me." But the the people who he's that were protected by this weird force think, you know put it down to some sort of religious um, artifice, something that is surrounding the body of Paladis uh, and start sort of venerating him slightly. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I I, I, something we should say, I think, about uh, the the leader of this gang is called uh, the the Babu Dakal, and there's a description of him, or at least uh, about his his doings. He is the most violent of all the gang leaders, and has succeeded because of that. But nobody knows who he is. Nobody has seen him and lived. Uh, and because of that, all kinds of like weird um, myths have uh, risen up, explain like describing him as, oh, he's a, a space marine who went bad, and all of these kind of things, um, which I think is sort of priming us for a, a big reveal in the second half of the book, and I'm ready for that. Yeah, yeah, it's intriguing, intriguing, definitely. Um, I can't remember what happens next in this narrative. Well, in, in, I think sort of around this time, we have... Um, well, let's let's go back, actually, uh, and talk about Kai. Uh, so he is brought back uh, to the Whispering Tower, and he is sort of sent back to being a novitiate um, to do all that work again. Uh, but he says that it's... Um, it's it's kind of safe for him because he knows he knows all about being a novice, all of the, uh, the like the cell that he's in, all of the the work that they do, he can do with his hands behind his back basically, but he really likes the anonymity and the lack of responsibility uh, because like he's he's suffering PTSD essentially, and being back as a novitiate allows him to not have to deal with all of the stresses of being relied upon as the ship's astropath. Here he can he's got no responsibility at all, basically. And he can just concentrate on getting better. And I was like, this that is a a, a really sort of well told example of of like uh seeking health care um for somebody who's suffering PTSD. That the, the the story did not need to describe that, but it did. So I was like, oh, "This is." I think I'm really enjoying this. Um, and he meets up with this uh, astropath called Athena, who is sent uh, to uh, heal him, basically, uh, to be in charge of his health care. And she herself is uh, broken in body, though she had been on a ship that had been. Uh, destroyed and exposed to the vacuum and she was all sort of uh, crunched up and in a floating wheelchair type thing uh, but she had a fairly sharp mind and there is a sort of relationship that grows between her who is saying to him I could have given up but I didn't and so I expect you not to give up and so they sort of begin the kind of healing process of of Kai. Um, uh, Athena has a vision of the death of Ferris Manus, and uh, it takes a bit for her to decipher what it all means. Um, but very soon, the Whispering Tower receives word of the death of Ferris Manus, the loss of Vulcan and Korax, their lost, presumed dead, the destruction of the Iron Hands um, and the betrayal of the additional legions. They, they, we knew that uh, Dorne had sent this sort of loyalist force 
to Istvan and um, they thought that it was going to be enough to absolutely destroy Horus's heresy. But, you know, the, the greater heresy was revealed. The greater betrayal happened. And then there are like <laughs> really brilliant descriptions of like the world disintegrating as their certainty fell apart. And like people um, like in, in uh, bioweapon uh, laboratories um, injecting themselves with their own biological viruses so that the um, automatic safety systems would destroy them because they could not live in a world where the emperor could be betrayed and all, all these like examples of like uh, the Van Diemen's Land prison island uh, turns against uh, the, the, the their enslavers and declares for Horus and requires to be put down by uh, the legions and stuff. And you just see the world falling apart as their certainty to, to their birthright to the galaxy is somehow being challenged by Horus and they cannot deal with it. And it's really, really great. Yeah, and, and there's, a, there's also a good bit just, just before that where it's describing like word reaching the, the, um, the city of sight, which and a particular area of the the tower um, called the conduit, which is kind of just um, where all the like messages from all over the galaxy get funneled in here, and like they start getting this message that this has happened, but like the the they can't quite believe it, and um, and and like the, the the guy who runs that bit having to sort of deal with all his like underlings not functioning properly because they can't. You know they can't relay this information to him really, um, and and yeah, I think like for all the descriptions that we've had in these books of like the you know the great shock that a brother could turn on brother and stuff, but th- this was like this had the best one. This this did the best job of making it seem like a truly monumental, you know, shock um, through yeah. through the kind of yeah the the sort of um, montage kind of description of just carnage erupting around the world as people try to deal with this um so i think it was at that that stage that um kai was in a, a sort of dream state with um uh, athena and she was trying to uh well no he was he, he was actually in it alone in his dream state and Apparently, it's impossible for somebody to enter somebody else's dream state without their knowledge. Uh, so cue somebody who does exactly just that. And it seems to be that, um, I think it's an Eldar. I'm not sure if they um, explicitly say that. But he has this encounter with uh, what we presume is an Eldar, who says he has foreseen his own death, but knows that Kai is somehow involved not directly in his death but in the life of the person who will lead to his death and so this eldar magician is following kai uh, in the hopes of better understanding his own ending and then hoping to alter it um kai has heard of a branch of magic called the cognosynths which is not a good name um and seeks out this guy called uh, 
Evander... Evander Gregoras. Evander Gregoras, a terrific name. Um, uh, he is... Uh, uh, what is his branch of, of astrotelepathy? He's, a, he's it's master the, of the Cryptesians. Yes. He basically winnows through all the... He seems to be like the secret policeman. Like He looks for coded messages... He's into signals intelligence and looks for, yeah. Um, he's, a, he's, he's a spy catcher, I think, really. He's got like a big sort of Da Vinci Code kind of piece of research going on that he's been doing for like 200 years. And he basically yeah. like says that there's like all these clues throughout human history that are like leading to some big pattern and revelation of some kind. Um, I, I, when I was reading that, obviously it's like, it's quite apt at the minute with when you read more about QAnon and you know the losers and stuff that that believe that shit I would have loved for him to have pieced together this thing which he calls the pattern only for it to be <laughs> absolute nonsense uh, but uh, you know as is the case with these books it's all absolutely correct <laughs> <laughs> and like the, the war of the cognizance which was quite um, which is quite uh, an interesting bit as well had that had kind of conspiracy theory vibes about it as well because mm. it was like saying basically the cognitive so it was like it's basically like people with like telepathic kind of powers even the normal astropaths says they're about like one in a million right and then these like the cognoscents are orders of magnitude rarer than that and they have like a telepathic ability that allows them basically to control other people completely without them knowing it. Um, and I mean, this is from history. Like the, the, if Andrew Gregoras is just talking about uh, some time long ago, and it says like there was states at this time where the leaders were actually being controlled by cognizants who like just made them all fight against each other for their own entertainment, essentially. Um, yeah. And then there was a. Then it talked about a, a leader. I, I mean, like to be honest, the guy that you said was you think he's an elder. I was just assuming he was the emperor. Every time, like, uh, sort of godlike being appears in some mysterious fashion, that I just assume it's the emperor. But I, I am. Oh right, yeah, yeah, could be. I have no idea to be honest. But then there's, a, I'm not quite sure about this bit where he talks about a, a kind of warrior leader rising up to fight the cognizance and who over a period of like decades fought this long war against the cognizance and eventually defeated them all. And I'm guessing, he doesn't say it was the emperor, but I was kind of assuming that was the emperor as well. But again, maybe I just assume everyone is the emperor. Yeah, no, I, I thought that as well. The, the, the description they, they gave of, of this guy was somebody who was powerful enough to resist the cognizance, who built um, an army who were resistant to the cognizance and uh, then just... Uh, defeated them one by one um, and turning their armies against them until they had killed, seemingly killed the last one thousands of years ago. And that this uh, this warrior, this great warrior, was only known by his golden eyes. Um, so I was like, well, okay, that, is that the emperor? Is that is that Lionel Johnson? Can't remember. Anyway, can't remember. Um Anyway, Kai seeks out Evander Gregoris and, and talks to him about be, possibly being visited by one of these cognizants. Evander says, that's madness. Um, that can't have happened. Um, 
And then the, the, is the beginning of the bits that I really didn't like in the book. It's a retelling of Magnus's destroying of the chamber of the Golden Throne, where he um, tries to get word to the Emperor of Horus's treachery and uh, uses the webways and through his hubris and piercing of these doorways, uh, destroys all of the Emperor's good work and allows chaos to run riot. And um, it just, you know, it's right at this point where there are descriptions of Araman and Magnus back on Tizka. And it just read like, you know, you haven't, you haven't encountered this in the book yet. And this is a good way through the book. And you're like, you haven't written anything about this. It's a, it's like a paragraph long. It just seems so like, uh, you know, badly planned. It was like, oh, and now this is important. So let me, t- let me tell you a bit about it here. Um, I just didn't like that bit at all. No, there was, there, I agree that the, like the actual bit where it's describing, um, you know, this happening with Magnus appearing and, and, and being face to face with the Emperor. Didn't need to have that again, really. Um, but all the stuff that happened after that, I did enjoy because there's another sort yes. of montage sequence where. Um, so, yeah, the, sorry, just before we move on, like, thing me, uh, Kaiser Wayne, something in his kind of dream vision was a sort of. There's a lot of, like, stuff to do with, like, the symbolism of dreams and visions and shit like that, that, like, Especially as Vander Gregoris, the Cryptasian, tries to like work that out. But like he, to part of his vision, I think there's a bunch of visions in the first half of the book that I get a little bit confused between. But he had seen something that sort of symbolised Magnus, um, and he so so, uh, Vander Gregoris, because of that, he sort of realises that um, Kaiserlein is sort of important in some way to the, this kind of secrets that he's trying to learn. Um, and then for the second time in the book just like shit kicks off all over the world possibly yeah. in an even more extreme sense than the last time because like the the power of like Magnus breaking into the Emperor's uh, sort of lab via the warp um, sets off this massive blast of sort of psychic energy throughout the planet which causes all kinds of carnage um, the the sense of scale to this bit was terrific, like it really felt like this um, world spanning thing. Yeah, it uh, it talks about how um, nightmares the nightmares of people were like manifested in front of them. Families forget one another and just you know go about their business as if they weren't family members. Um, this guy called Ibn Khaldun who was uh, the best at deciphering uh, the the complex imagery of astrotelepathic signals uh, basically explodes. Uh, the rest of the choir that he was working with, their the heads pop off basically, <laughs> and they just that like start f- shooting out geysers of light. Oh man, there's uh, I'm, lo- I'm actually flicking through the book looking for that line because it is art. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's has a good chance of being my favourite line in the whole series thus far, so I really need to find out. Anyway, carry on and I'll keep laughing. Okay, well, I'll sort of go a little bit beyond it and we can uh, revisit it whenever you get that. So, uh, Sarashina is, uh, was sort of the, the person who uh, brought back 
um, Kaizu Lane and was responsible for training him in the first place and so had this relationship with him and desperately wanted him to get better. She um, was visiting Ibn Khaldun whenever he exploded and after he exploded he had sort of created this uh, ball of light thing. I wasn't quite sure about this but because um, of the massive psychic storm and the explosion of these choirs uh, this choir of powerful psychics and all of that she somehow knew that touching this ball of light thing she would learn about the future and she was part of the Vatic uh, culture within uh, the astrotelepath so she was to do with deciphering the future so this was obviously her one dream in life really so she goes up to touch it and in doing so uh, something happens uh, something enters her from the warp and when that happens well nothing good comes from it essentially um, well do you want me to continue or continue have you got if you can. I, really, yep. I really need to find this but okay probably... well so uh, cut away from her, Gregoris is helping Kai. Uh, Kai is sort of uh, has been thunderstruck by by this wave set off by Magnus, and Gregoris is sort of pulling him along, saying that we've got to get to Sarashina. Um, he somehow has like a whole uh, through his working out of the pattern and of you know being high up in the astrotelepaths, he somehow knows that this has involved Magnus, that he is somehow on Earth, and he knows that um, the only thing that can come of this, such hubris can only be punished by the Emperor through the sending of uh, the Space Wolves uh, to destroy Magnus. Uh, so he's like, shit's really going down. We need to get to Sarashna because we know she's in danger. Uh, they reach her, and they break into her room and they basically start talking to her. And she gives Kai all the knowledge of a many thousand lifetimes. And that's too much for his, his puny brain to really process. But she says that he needs it, but he doesn't need to be aware of it. He just needs to give it to the person who he will know at the right time. Um, but he knows that uh, but she knows that he will not just be allowed to keep it. He will be uh, cracked open and they'll try to get get it out of him, whether he knows about it or not. So she hides it in the one place that they know he'll never look, whatever exactly that means. We don't know. Um, and in the end, as he is being like, filled up with all of this information he has a vision of a golden-eyed man so that um that person who defeated the cognoscence back in the day um and the, the this part of the book basically ends with kai being taken into custody after he awakens um by the legio custodes where he's going to be basically trepanned for this information and he screams as he's being taken away to be tortured and Gregoris uh, basically says no this this is the right thing to happen we need to get at that information whatever she gave you could have material benefit 
for the war against Horus. Yeah. Um, and that is the end of the uh, the bit that we read. Um, yeah, well, good job, Neil, handling that on. <laughs> good job, Neil, now shut up. <laughs> Was there anything more to... I found the line, by the way, but, you know, it's, it's a good way to... It'll be a good way to end our coverage of this story, but um, is... Uh, was there anything more in the Roxanne storyline beyond what we said? I don't think there was really, was there? Um, well, she um, she could always be... She had this ring, which was like a locator beacon, which she had on her. And she always knew that uh, her family would be tracking her because she was too important to just be left alone. And for some reason, they were giving her a bit of leeway. Uh, in order for her to like maybe find herself um but she told a little boy one of the the kids in this community that she is trying to protect that she was actually an astropath but that he shouldn't fear her and he said oh i know everybody else knows um they're not weirded out by you and this has a sort of revelatory effect on her because she has always been told that people are scared of her because she's different and she has just found out that these people have totally accepted her so she gives this little kid this ring um which she says will um uh, she just he just needs to use and it'll protect him so obviously the ring will call down uh, representatives of her family in order to protect him although you would think they would they might just kill him for having this ring which doesn't belong to him but anyway um, that is basically the end of her storyline so we think that she has given up on her role as a navigator and part of her house and is probably going to go on the hunt after this Babu Dakal uh, gang leader. Yeah, and she's kind of committed herself to the like paladists in this community that have sort of accepted her and taken. Yeah, totally. Because I, I sort of thought even she she wasn't actually even given the ring to be used in its original way. She was just given it as like you know a trinket basically, and just that was. But you might be right. Yeah, that, that was maybe the intention. She, she did call it a magical ring. Right. So I think maybe yeah. Um. Anyway, here's the one. It's so fucking good. Um, The last surviving members of the choir shrieked as geezers of light erupted from their scalps. Um, (laughs) It's a good one. So, yeah, that's that's us. And and to be honest, I I really enjoyed that. um, I loved it. Yep. Um, And I'm really looking forward to the second half. And, yeah, I mean, I'm close to saying now this is the... If I was to say to someone, read one book of what we've read so far, this would be the one that I'd give them. Um, just because it, it, I, I feel like it's one of the ones that makes the best of the setting, the sort of the you know future gothic weirdness of the setting. Um, and fairly- I, I, I agree. Um, and I, even if the second half turns out to be shit, I, I might just say, like, read the first half. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm genuinely looking forward to seeing where it goes. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, like I was I was moving into this house all of last week. So it was like furniture, like building every piece of furniture you can think of, boxes everywhere, buying food, getting bills sorted out. It was a nightmare. 
So I really only started reading this a few days ago and I find no difficulty in getting through the, the, the part one of the book in a few days. It was uh, a real pleasure to read. I, the, the color and flavor of the text was amazing. Um, as you say, it really felt like Graham McNeil was using uh, the good parts of this universe and like describing them well and, and bringing depth to them and stuff. Um, even some of the characters I quite liked. You know, the, I wouldn't go so, go so far as to call them 3D, but uh, the, the, they maybe had a second dimension, which is unusual. I thought you were going to say something like, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go for a drink with them, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> but I think I would go for a drink with Ignatius Gruelgore. <laughs> I, think, I think that might be quite, quite fun, although I would probably leave infested with some sort of demon creature in my nose or something but yeah i mean it probably wouldn't go well a night with ignatius grogor but it would be fairly entertaining up till that point um totally uh yeah no so looking forward to um to you know part two and going to be back on our regular schedule uh hopefully without interruptions um but uh, yes, so we'll get back to that. You will hear from us again in two weeks' time. Um, I have a few emails that I still have to respond to uh, that people have sent into us, horseheretics at gmail.com. Um, I apologize for not getting back to you. It's just been uh, such a busy time for both of us. Um, but I will try and get back to those in, um, in the next few days. If anybody else wants to get in contact please uh, reach us at that uh, email address um we really appreciate all of you guys for listening uh please spread the word get more people listening tell people that it's a halfway decent podcast it's not great but it's fine um <laughs> give people a realist view you know i'm 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 tired of this modern sort of uh, devotion to hyperbole everything being the absolute best or everything being the worst um we're fine but i should you know i should say um as well you know if you're listening to this podcast thanks for like sticking with us through uh yeah several weeks of <laughs> not getting any new stuff um although you know maybe you didn't hear us talking shit about writing a story the first time so hopefully you enjoyed that if that was your 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 um first introduction to that great so um we will sign off and see everybody again in two weeks see you then cheers Bye.